Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we're able to be joined by one of my team and long-term uh, member of the Access Chat community, Jim Smith, or Dr. Smith. Um, so, uh, Jim, it's great to have you with us. Obviously, I know you really well, but our audience may not. Um, you participate in Access Chat and your Twitter handle is Scotiatech. So, for the people that do Twitter, but haven't made the connection, this is Jim. So Jim, you've been working in the accessibility field with me for over half the last decade, but what was it that first got you interested and you know, tell us a bit about your journey into the topic? Well, uh, I think it's eight years we've been working together now, Neil, believe it or not, but I get interested a, a long time ago, to be honest with you. I think the first time I became aware about accessibility was uh, back actually in 1984 when I had a job with the local parks and recreation department as a gardener, well, a gardener's assistant, really. And half of the squad, most of the senior ones, were actually members of the deaf community. And it was a real eye-opener to me because I you know, hadn't been really aware of how vibrant a community the deaf community actually was. You know, and it really, that's when I started thinking, of moving away from terms of thinking in terms of charity, and if you like, you know, pity, because I'd been very quickly corrected if, it, if I'd expressed any of that with those guys. And it was interesting for me as well, because I had to learn to communicate with them, because they spoke through sign language, which was uh, new to me. So I was thrown into that environment where I had to learn. Now, I didn't learn particularly well. I, I learned a lot about gardening and things like that and related to that. But that really woke me up to saying, well, there's lots of different communities there. So I had an awareness from then. And if I jump forward then to uh, the mid-90s, I was working in University College Cork at the time. My background was I was a geologist. And I get the job of uh, trying to set up the departmental website and at the time. And I realized very quickly I didn't actually know a lot about this. So I had to go to the computer science department there. And I got in touch with a guy called uh, Peter Flynn, who worked in the, the, the World Wide Web. Uh, he was big into web standards and things. And the only way he was going to help me was if I built a standards compliance website. And standards lead into accessibility, I think, because if you follow web standards properly, you generally produce something that's relatively accessible. And from that, that led me into uh, was it a list apart by the Jeffrey Zeldman, I think was the guy who ran it in 1998, sort of thing, which is where I started getting interested in how to build accessible websites. Now, I was building them with Notepad and things like that, so from the ground up. And I found it quite an eye-opener because I don't really have that much of a flair when it comes to programming. Uh, so my stuff would have been very, very basic. So it was, I, I was amazed that I could build these standard compliance websites. That was round about the time when CSS3 was being pushed out. And you could actually see that by doing this that you could create accessible websites. Now, I was interested in doing this because... To me, I'm also, uh, accessibility is all part about, of inclusion and that. And I realized you know, that I came from a relatively privileged background educationally in that I, worked, I was in a 
come through an educational system that suited me and it was also free at points. So, I mean, I basically went through my entire education without actually having to pay for stuff. And I realized that that gave me opportunities and opened up opportunities. And I'm sure we're all familiar with stories about, say, if I think of my, my father, for instance, who never had oppor the opportunities I had. So to me, I get interested in the tech side of opening up opportunity. And that's accessibility is really important to that. So you open up to the widest number of people with the widest experience and allow people to, you know, just participate and contribute into society. And that's, uh, you know, so I've always had that sort of a uh, bubbling interest. And then round about, I think it was about 2005, I left the academic world in geology and joined Siemens as a technical trainer. And I became interested in the way people consume information and how they learn and how to do that effectively. And again, my interest in accessibility and inclusion tied into the way I would be trying to train people. And then I think about eight years ago, Antonio suggested that I give this guy called Neil Millicent a call because my career was a bit, you know, I'd got to a stage where, you know, I could see things were beginning to wind down and change. I thought maybe it's time for another change. So I thought, yeah, might as well give this guy a call, see what he's like and talk to him sort of thing. So we I gave you a call uh, and uh, that was about eight years ago. Delighted to join the team. And then my after I joined that, that's really when my knowledge began to accelerate when I get four, when I started looking at this full time. I think I get thrown into initially the supporting the internal staff in the BBC. And the BBC, that was a great place to learn as well at the time because the BBC had a lot of initiatives and interest as well. So it wasn't uh, quite uh, driven, completely driven financially either there. It was about, you know, where I, so I could learn sort of like best practice, share ideas and things like that. And then really from that, I learned a lot about how to run accessibility in that sort of corporate environment, how to manage an account. And then I started managing more and more accounts. And finally, now I sort of look after the accessibility and digital inclusion for the UK and Ireland at Atos. Do. I also am involved in uh, work in Ireland. I, I live in the Republic of Ireland rather than the UK. So I'm interested in a few organizations there. So I, I uh, worked with the Court Deaf Association to try to brush up a little bit of my sign language. It's still not good. I still need to work on it, but it was interesting to see all the other communities and learn there. So that's really a bit about my history of uh, how I got to be here today. Yeah, and, and you, you omitted to mention you're also a member of our expert communities and scientific communities mm -hmm. contributing to the thought yeah. within the organization as well. So happy that it's eight years it's passed pretty quickly so um so um and of course very much glad that that you did make that call deborah you've got a question well i'm just always impressed with the atos team i only because you have someone like jim that is so technical and um really really wants to make sure that everybody's included digitally. And I know you're into the e-learning stuff, Jim, but I, I'm just really uh, always impressed because it feels like your team, Neil, is doing things differently. For example, I wouldn't expect to see an Antonio 
uh, Santos on an accessibility team. I wouldn't expect to see some of the others. Jim, I'm fascinated with because he has such a strong technical background. And you've been very involved in the standards creation and the continuation of the standards as well, Jim, or should I say Dr. Jim Smith, since uh, Neil just did, congratulations. But Jim, whenever you, as as you've watched and participated as all of this accessibility has unfolded, does it give you hope that we're finally, that the technologists are finally really hearing us and understanding that we need to design so that human beings can, you know, really be included, the the human-centric design? Because I see a lot of arguments But I'm just curious, what are you seeing, Jim? Because you are one of the brightest people I know in this field. Uh, You impress me. And I love your accent, but that's just something else. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I mean, the reason I don't use the doctor is that my PhD is in paleontology sort of thing. So I drop it for this. So it's not really relevant. I also would say I'm probably not the most technical person, you know, but I work with technical people which is a thing, and, I under, and I, I've leveraged their expertise in there. And I'll talk maybe about the expert community and the scientific community in a minute, but what's more important and what actually gives me hope in, when I look at Atos is that I'm now talking, say, for instance, last week I was talking to some of our developers and some of their calls there, that they are beginning to get interested in accessibility without me or Neil sort of badgering them or, or poking them with a stick to make them do it and things like that. They've picked it up themselves and they seem to be enjoying it and they're disseminating that information within their own communities. And I think part of that as well is that uh, Atos has a, a champions network we've just kicked off. And the champions network to me is the eyes and ears that we across the organization that we have that allows everyone to get involved because we're a, a small enough team that we can't look after an organization the size of Atos without the organization buying in from it. And part of the importance buying in is from the top down, because you need that in an organization, but much more important is from the bottom up. And what gives me real hope is I see that our developers are showing an interest in it, and they're joining the Champions Network, they're asking questions, they're inviting me to uh, sit and see in some of the calls that they're having. And the, the really, the best thing about the call I sat in the last time is I actually didn't have to say anything. They were on top of this sort of thing, you know, and, you know, I thanked them for the invite and that was about it. And they understood and the, I'll be honest with you, they understood some of the technical stuff a lot more than I did because they're at the cutting edge. And what gives me hope is when I see the developers interested and not being made to be genuinely interested and not forced to do it sort of thing. So I am hopeful when I see that. Well, and Jim, I think it's, I think it's so interesting that you do not consider yourself technical because I know that everything you do is technical. So that's so interesting because I understand what you're saying, but you, you know, I, I would have to disagree with you. I think you're a really strong technologist there. So it's, but you're right. I mean, I, I guess if you start thinking about somebody who programs AI or something like that, but it's interesting. The thing that I've always been impressed with you is how you can speak all the different languages. Um, I believe it's gotten a little better as far as layman speaking to technologist. I know I used to spend a lot of time on those translations, but 
to really, I, I still see that there's translations that need to happen whenever we're explaining, um, you know, how do we make sure that we design so that we're following all the legal rules and we're following all ATOSIS processes, but we're really meaningfully including everybody. And I, I just think, I know that's what you do deal with all the time. And I know you, um, you're so good at it that it seems easy, but actually it is a real skill that I unfortunately don't see others in our field having. And I think it's very important because you can translate it from no matter where it's coming from in the gigantic organization. And so maybe I'm not saying it well, but I just do think that you're a, you're a very good translator. I think part of it that brings that in is because I came from the outside. You know, I came from a background of paleontology into IT, into accessibility. And that's where the inclusion thing is so important because you're getting people with different viewpoints coming in sort of thing. So, I mean, and that's the, the real strength of inclusion, not just in accessibility and everything. So by making the community as inclusive as, pro as possible, you do improve that community. Sort of thing. And I know people have been saying this for a while, but that's my lived experience, that the more diverse that you have. Now, sometimes managing a diverse team, as Neil will probably tell you, can be a bit of a challenge sometimes because, you know, with that to allow everyone to have the voice and everyone to have to contribute there. But I think that's part of it is because I'm from the outside and I've joined in that I'm, I wasn't buried in the technical face in there right at the beginning. So I had to get people to explain it to me in a way I could understand it rather than something super technical. And that's how, you know, you, you, you reach understanding, I think. And I think also, and within Atos, I know you mentioned the expert in the scientific community, Neil, that's important as well, because we as a team contribute to the expert community to generate interest in accessibility and inclusion. And then there's another organization, the scientific community within Atos. I don't know if this, this has been discussed before, but we've looked at a few projects there and we make sure that accessibility is always considered. We looked at uh, a couple of years ago, a small you know study of how can we use, how can we make uh, interfaces, how can we personalize them as much as possible and make it, you know, and so that as I, the idea being as someone approaches a user interface, that user interface configures itself to the preferences of the user it's almost on the fly and things like that to discuss, do we have the technologies? What's the best way to do that? You know, do you use sort of edge computing techniques and IoT to do it? Or do you use a, a more traditional cloud approach to where the stuff is stored? And it was all about asking questions and getting people to think and getting them interested in technology because I think when you start a conversation with people, most people are interested in accessibility when it's explained to them and they become quite, most people become quite passionate about it, but it's about grabbing their attention and making them think. And that's where the likes of the these communities are really important because you bring people who maybe have been in the margin of, of interest rather than the margin of the organization and pique their interest, bring them in and get them talking. And then you learn from them because they are the people with the expertise sort of thing. And you think, well, how can I apply this to accessibility? How can I, how can I take what these people know and then work with them and try to build something? And that's where those communities are really, really valuable. 
Yeah. So, I mean, Deborah in the chat window had asked, what are the, what's the expert community and the scientific community? And I, I know Antonio has a question, so I'll hand over as soon as I've explained. Uh, so, the scientific community within Antos is essentially the think tank of the organization. It does the sort of produces thought leadership pieces. It does the sort of imagining how we're going to be doing stuff five, ten years out. Uh, and then the expert community is just that. It's it's essentially bringing together all of the sort of different experts from around the, the organization and recognizing expertise has a value. So not everybody wants career progression as a manager, and it's a way for people with deep technical expertise or or what subject matter expertise to to be recognized and to participate and be connected to the rest of the organization. So over to you, Anthony. Yeah, but that's no, uh, really cool supporting your employees. Sorry, Antonio. So okay. just want to say no, uh, thank you, Richard. No, no I, I was just uh, I, I just wanted to ask Jim, you know, um if you know, looking back to the days where he started uh, working on, on accessibility, and, and today, um, uh, how do you feel that you need to explain yourself when you are trying to make the case for accessibility? How have we progressed so far? I think one of the biggest changes we've seen now is that I talk an awful lot more about the benefits of accessibility rather than the threats of legal action. Because really about eight years ago, that's, you know, it was about compliance, which might sound strange because a lot of my team work in compliance and there's something that has to be done. But I think we're moving now to see the value of accessibility because I'm, I know I'm sort of, uh, I'm pushing an open door here when I say that something that's accessible is simply a better product. And it's about an, an accessible product is a better designed product. So I think the big change in attitude that we've seen is that I'm no longer having to threaten people sort of thing. Now, that's always in the back pocket in case you need to encourage people, but more and more the conversations are about the positive things that accessibility and accessible design is that are actually bringing. And that's been a... We've been talking about, about that for eight years since I joined the team. We've always known that. But people are beginning to see that now, and I think people are beginning to buy in that this is not just something I have to do, it's a good thing to do. And people are actually beginning to realize now it's actually a profitable thing to do as well. It actually makes good business sense as well. So that's that progression that we're moving from something that you force people to do into something that people want to do and benefit from. Because if you force someone to do something, you get the bare minimum. You always do sort of thing like that. So that's where it's in, and and you don't get people engaging. People now engage more think more and they, they see opportunities themselves and I think that's the big attitude change uh, if you were talking about technological changes I think the biggest change I've seen now is that I see so much more development of inbuilt tools about accessibility sort of thing within that built into operating systems into tools that were no longer now you're always going to have the assistive technology that's needed in addition Okay, but there's this whole new approach now. I mean, eight years ago, Neil, if I'd suggested we could use the uh, the inbuilt tools in Microsoft as a you know for assistive technology for people, you would have laughed at me. If it's I might have told you where to go, yes, you would have got cross with me. And if it said it a third time, you would probably have fired me. Whereas you know, and I think that's what's important as well because 
particularly if I think of myself now, I'm 56 sort of thing. I'm getting a bit worn at the seams sort of thing like that. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't be in a position, in a place where I would have, I would meet something, say, from the Equality Act, a, you know, a definition of a disability there. But my hearing isn't what it used to be. My coordination isn't what it used to be. My eyesight isn't what it used to be. So I benefit from the inbuilt tools. You know, I, I maybe I don't need uh, Zoom text, but sometimes I'll use the, 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 the Zoom features built into the technology quickly, particularly if it's one of these spreadsheets with the tiny fonts that everyone seems to love, you know, in that. So I see that there's assistive technology is a lot more ubiquitous than it was. It's, you know, it's available everywhere. And I think part of the story that we've been working on is pushing that, making people aware that, hey, you know, you're two clicks in your keyboard away from having a Zoom you know, a little window zooming up, you know, just to help you with that, you know, if, if the text is a bit smaller, you, you know, you've forgotten your glasses. Or, or even if I think of the uh, the advances in the captioning, artificial intelligence and captioning. Now, absolutely, you can't be a live captioner. You really can't sort of thing. But I see the changes, even with my accent. I know, Deborah, you seem to, to like my accent. I love your accent. AI captioning does not like my accent. And, and things like that. But I've seen a real improvement there. See, now with uh, with PowerPoint, for instance, I'll quite often just turn on the captions because I'm in a noisy environment. Or sometimes, sometimes I find it easier to read, to, to follow those as well. So that's that change I've seen. I've seen a change in attitude and I've seen assistive technology becoming much more widespread. And the important thing is that they're becoming widespread is it's becoming affordable as well. Right. Because right. if you have the best assistive technology in the world, but nobody can actually afford it. You might as well not have it. It just discourages. Question, Antonio. Sorry, kind of went rant there. No, no, thank you, thank you, Jim. Uh, I was also curious to know because sometimes you, you network, you talk with people from, from other uh, other entities and, and organizations. No, who belong to partners you know, that we work. Or even uh, groups that we, we we are part in terms of our networking, like the Business Disability Forum or Purple Space or or Valuable. And uh, do you, do you get the feeling that uh, at the senior level, um, people are now senior leaders are now understanding more the the importance of of, uh, of accessibility? I think they are. But I think the thing we need to be very careful of is, is you grab people's attention, okay, you can quite quickly lose that attention again, sort of thing. And other people might be under the impression, this is done and dusted, we're finished with this. You know, why are you bringing this to me again? So we do have that attention and we've worked hard in Atos to get it. But I think it's something you need to keep working at all the time because there's all other causes that are trying to grab attention as well, because you're dealing with what people that are probably the most time-poor people you're going to come across. So, yeah, I think there's been great work has being done. Things I see, certainly in Ireland, I see a little bit more awareness at a government level as well in there. Uh, but it's, I think there has been an improvement, but it's, an, it's always going to be an ongoing job to do this sort of thing like that, because if you, if you lose their attention, someone else will take their attention and then you've got to go back and get it again. So I think that's important. And also it's important because people at the top of organizations, governments and large companies change as well. 
I think so you've got so when they hand on the baton you've got someone else that you need to sort of enthuse a little bit as well so I think uh, yes there has been real improvement and a real awareness but it's an ongoing job to keep that going I think. Jim I have a a, a really hard question for you um, <laughs> so <laughs> I hear all the time from really large global corporations that the accessibility vendors in the States, for example, which I'm in the States, um, that a lot of the accessibility vendors just do not understand the complexity of a large global corporation. And I know that some vendors think, you know, you're Atos, you're a billion dollar company. So you've got buckets of gold, you know, laying around your offices. I wish you'd send me some, please. But, um, it's, it's something that I think is a major concern, and I think that's one reason why I'm fascinated with the ATOS team, because you all have such different skills, and you're in accessibility and inclusion. I love that part of it, but do you, and you know, I, I don't want it to make this self-serving for ATOS, but it really is a challenge. Do you think that vendors that you that want to come in and work for ATOS to make y'all fully accessible, understand really all the technology, the business processes, all of the moving parts, the business units, your global thing. Yeah, I see um, Neil looking a little sick, but I know this is y'all's life. But so anybody, you know, join and help Jim answer the question. But that is a complaint I hear all the time. Yeah, I, I think when I certainly joined Siemens, I was surprised by the complexity and the conservativeness with a small C of large organisations. Now, I think it's also true with engineering organisations because Siemens was an engineering organisation. Atos is an engineering organisation as well, and they tend to be quite conservative as well. Now, they may be radical in the products they produce, but the internal processes, there's a lot of inertia, there's a lot of conservatism, there's a lot of, well, it isn't, the process doesn't seem to be broken, why are we fixing it, sort of thing, even though it is sort of broken. So, yes, I think people, I, I was surprised by the complexity that's there. And I think it's uh, just a factor of scale, to be honest with you, Deborah, that the larger the organisation, and it's got nothing to do with uh, public and private sector either. I think it's to do with the size of an, an organization gets to a certain size and it seems to have complexities and the complexities seem to grow within the organization. Throw in the mix of a multinational organization and the complexities, I mean, they, they go off the, off, off the roof there. So I, I think, and it can be very frustrating for us to work here as well in, within an organization with that as well, where there's a small change that you know could make a big difference and you're thinking, but, you know, this is 10 minutes work for someone to do this. But the actual complexity of getting that work done, organising who's paying for it, how it's going to be budgeted for, when it's going to be done, making sure that, you know, doing the, 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 the checks that you're not going to impact other things. People don't understand the complexity of a large organisation. And a large organisation is never going to have the nimbleness of, say, a startup anyway you know to do things so it does take time to get things in it's also we have a lot of uh, say if i think of our line of business applications that everyone uses we need to be really careful we don't break those okay 
Okay, and things have got a lot better with assistive technologies, but there was always that when we worked, there was always that fear of what is going to break in our, because it's not just the new technologies that there may be some, because they're testing well, but we're taking them often into, uh, historic is probably an accurate description, a historic application, you know, an old sort of, uh, I don't like to say out of date application, but uh, something that's maybe not up to date and you, you've, you know, that maybe wasn't tested. So there's a lot of complexity in there. And when we introduce something, we have to make sure we don't break stuff there as well. So I know we, Neil's team and other people have been working in the other green approach that we have to it. But for, with all, and we can be there with part of it and part of our tool set, but there's a lot of our tool set doesn't work in that, mo that evergreen model at all. So you, that's where that complexity comes in to making sure you're not breaking stuff. And then you've got the financial complexities and the responsibilities within an organization of who approves something and things like that. So I know we've been working to try to change the corporate culture across ATOS, not just in accessibility, to try to streamline decision process, the, the processes of decision-making but they're still quite complex. And I don't. I think you have to work in a large organization to actually begin to grasp just how difficult. Something might seem like a tiny, simple change, but getting it done can be really, really difficult. That's, that's why eight years passes so quickly, right? So, yeah. you know, we're still on that first 10-minute task. Um, but in, in all seriousness, it's, it's absolutely true. Uh, we, we live in a world of complexity and whilst the accessibility consultancies are technically you know, high, you know, high quality, no doubt about that, there's some great experts out there. There are very few that have come from a background of dealing with the complexity of multinationals and, and, and all of the things that Jim mentioned, the, the, the different legislations, the the, the stakeholder groups and all of that kind of stuff that, that makes it very different to implementing when you're just doing a web app. So, and, and Jim mentioned legacy apps. Well, if you think about, you know, some of our customers, government and public sector and banking sector, well, banking sector is still running on COBOL. So, you know, they're, you know, and they're not going to turn it off because they don't want it to break. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is going to be, you know, difficult to maintain. So, yes, of course, we always advocate, well, when you're building something, building it accessible. But there is a lot of stuff out there that we're, we're patching and we're finding workarounds on. And, and some of that's actually quite good fun because that's a creative process, too. You're, you're, you're problem solving and, and so on. So I think that's you know, an area where we can always add value and, 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 and really sort of cut your teeth on trying to fix some of these problems. Um, we're at the end of our half hour. That went quickly. Um, yeah, what can I say, Jim? It's always a pleasure. Thank you to my clear text for keeping his captions and accessible. Look forward to joining us on Tuesday. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Jim. I, I think you're so brilliant. So I bullied Neil into it's like, come on, we haven't had Jim on. So, and, and you, you're so subtle how you explain what you do, but this is why you're so good. This is why you're so good. Subtle. You make it look so easy. We were talking meetings with menaces, you know, did you not, could you not feel the, the, 
the malice in Jim's voice. And say, I no longer have to threaten them. You know, what kind of meeting are we talking about here? There's nothing. I've never been accused of being subtle before. It's <laughs> only the first time. Yeah. No. Excellent. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you.